Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. In studio with me is the Executive Director of the Sustainable Farming Association, Lucinda Wilt, uh, Winter. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thanks so much for inviting me on. Yeah, thanks. So tell us a little bit about yourself and the Sustainable Farming Association. Sure. I've been with SFA uh, in the fall. It will be two years. So I'm fairly new to the organization, which was formed in about 1990. So we have been around for a long time, more than 30 years, probably one of the older ag-related, especially sustainable ag-related organizations in in the state. Um, And before that, I had a completely different uh, life. I I wanted to make a left turn and try try something completely new. Um, I was the film commissioner for the state of Minnesota for 12 years. So I ran a nonprofit supporting the arts and trying to create more jobs, economic development for that sector of our economy. And now I'm trying to do, um, you know, do good by all the people who are working in sustainable ag and help make their lives easier, help them um, be more successful, more profitable, and um, more successful as farmers in, in, in moving agriculture towards sustainable. Yeah, and uh, we're going to be talking about um, the drought, the impact on the mental health of this drought and unhealthy air quality, um, and the importance of moving towards water-friendly agriculture, which is what Sustainable Farming Association and the members have been about for a long time. Forever, right. Yes. Yeah, um, SFA came about as a result of the farm crisis in the 80s, and it was founded by farmers, first of all, all volunteers, no staff for the first few years at all, and then for many years, just one staff person. Um, and we were uh, virtual before it was a thing, you know. I mean, this was a, a farmers uniting around their interest in leaving the land better than they, than they found it, um, in being long-term successful farmers who produced good food, nutritious food, um, but did that um, at the same time not extracting everything from from the soil and the earth, but trying to put, put work with nature and, um, as I said, leave the soil, leave the land, leave the water better than when they started. Yeah, yeah, because that's, kind of, that's kind of a human way of being. Right. It's the whole idea of not fighting with nature, of working with nature. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of our ancestors and certainly a lot of, of um, Native Americans who were here before us who had figured that out and were doing it very well. And then we came in with a different paradigm. And um, part of it was, you know, the desire to make more food faster, grow more things faster. Um, but it was sort of a, a paradigm of, um, you know, if, if it doesn't work for us, we're just going to kill it, you know, bugs or whatever, and that it really didn't matter what we were putting on the land. Um, so the whole idea of thinking about the consequences of in, of things we're putting in the land, like pesticides and herbicides, that that didn't matter. And, and now, of course, we know a lot more than we used to about what happens to everything that we put on the soil, going into the soil, into the water system, into our bodies, right? And... Um, so now that we know that and science has really shown the results and the consequences of that paradigm, um, you know, we're in a position where we can take that knowledge and make change. 
and 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 it's and it's vital to make that change um, quick quickly. And I'm going to um, I, oh, there's a great event going on, and this show is going to air uh, Saturday from eight to nine. So there's a great event going on today, later on today. So tell us about the event. Um, the event that we're um, we are one of three major partners uh, on this event, at least in the Twin Cities. Um, it's called the Mi- Mississippi River Days of Action. It is an event that's going to go on for ten days over um, a, a ten day period in 10 states, and there are the 10 states that are um, run along the Mississippi River, so the Mississippi is a, is a border for them, or is a, it runs through those states all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. Um, and, and for many years, um, there have been uh, groups who have been working, because the, the Mississippi River is in trouble. Um, it's, it's been, I think it's ranked about the 10th worst, um, you know, major body of water river in the United States in terms of, um, its health. And, you know, there are a lot of people from the headlands here where we farm all the way down to the Gulf states where they, they, they fish, um, that are very concerned and believe that we can, you know, we can turn the tide on that if we all work together and we can improve the health of the Mississippi. So uh, about na- about 50 organizations in the uh, United States are participating in River Days of Action. Right. Um, and that's um, – but tell us about what's going on um, later on today in Minneapolis. Well, the, the, um, the, the River Days actually starts in the morning uh, tomorrow at 8. And it's going to be at the mill – it's going to be um, focused on the Mill City – uh, market, which is one of our wonderful, wonderful farmers markets, and um, so people will be able to come to the market, and then there will be a, a lot of us who will be tabling there, and you'll be able to pick up all kinds of educational information about um, what is what is the connectedness uh, um, between what we eat. The people who grow what we eat, so our farmers, um, the people who are into water quality, how can we all work together as both producers of food um, and consumers of food to um, understand all the consequences of the way we grow food, the way we consume food, even the way we dispose of food and the, and the, and the packaging that it comes in, and that that all makes a difference. Um, in the quality of our waterways. And the Mississippi is a major, major, major waterway. It, it's a huge um, part of our economy. If you look at the, you know, the economic impact of all everything that goes on with the transportation use, the fishing use, recreational use in the Mississippi, um, we can all play a role in improving the quality of the water in the Mississippi, um, turning back the tide on, on what is right now a, a it's a waterway in danger. It's a river in danger. It's not healthy. So, so, so how does how does um, conventional agriculture contribute to an unhealthy Mississippi River? Well, I think everything we do, um, whether it's you know, I mean, it is. I don't think you know. You want you don't want to make. There's not one bad guy, right? There's <laughs> right. not, there's one, not bad one bad guy, right? It's only a, you and I, <laughs> right, right? There's only all of us. And I think everything we do, like when I was a kid, I remember because uh, I grew up in Hopkins. I remember my. Dad and then my brother when he got the job. If you mowed and you wanted to take change the oil in your lawnmower, you just dumped it. You just dumped it out. Nobody thought about putting it in a can and disposing of it properly, right? And it's like even little things like that. Um, what you use for those of us who live in the suburbs or in the city, and you have any grass, if you what you're putting on your grass to make it look better and greener and less weedy and all of that, we have choices now about what it is that we're putting on, or whether we put anything on or at all, and whether you know whether using the water that we use to have green lawns is is um, 
really are we being good stewards of, of the land that way? I mean, so this is really, it is about farmers. It's about farmers who are um, using fewer and fewer inputs. Certainly sustainable farmers look to use fewer and fewer inputs. They look to keep um, living roots in the soil all the time because that helps to keep water in the soil. It helps to prevent runoff. Um, if, you, if we're looking to return more livestock, um, to the land. And what, what people say to me, what does that mean? Well, what it means is your cows are grazing or your sheep are grazing. They're, they're eating pasture grasses. Um, there's lots of evidence, scientific evidence, that nutritional quality of meats that are pasture-raised is very superior um, in terms of what we're eating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, they poo, right? And when they poo, they are putting all kinds of nutrients back in the soil that is making it more healthy, Mm-hmm. Um, and so they are doing the work that additives that you would buy in a bag are doing, right? Mm-hmm. And you're also then getting um, you the meat that you're producing um, with whatever it is, whatever kind of livestock you're growing is actually, um, you know, there's lots of studies we can point to that have been done showing that the nutri- nutritional quality is higher. So we as consumers and eaters, as we like to call them, um, have a vested self-interest in this because – Sometimes people say to me, oh, I like to support my local farmer, so I show up at the farmer's market. And the thing that sort of bothers me about that is, well, that's all great, is that you're actually supporting yourself and your own health. So this isn't something you're doing because you're, you know, you're a kind-hearted person and you want to support local farmers. And you might be a kind-hearted and you people. Be all of that. You, might, you might be that, but you're right. right. We're doing it out of our own. And, right. and this is one thing. Um, I think it's. Uh, I think altruism is ultimately in our self-interest. Yes, I yes. really do. Yes, and there's a big movement to talk more and more about. I was just reading something yesterday about food as medicine. Mm-hmm. And if we were all had access to the leafy greens and the, fr- the fruits and vegetables um, and root vegetables that we that are prominent here in the fall and winter months, um, we supplements. You know, people can get what they need. They think from a pill, and maybe they can. But it, a lot of what you need, you can get if you have access. And if we make sure people um, have access right. to healthy food and variety of food. Well, and I know right now in my yard, in fact, it's a real source of hope because there is just so many greens. And I, I mean, I know which weeds are edible. I have, I have a lot. And so now I, right now I can just, I can eat so many living greens and I just simply saute them and put them with some eggs and, you know, everything from mint to, to uh, mustard, mustard greens, just a whole variety of greens that I know and I can just pick. And I'd love to see that out in, and everywhere, because you talked a little bit about the, um, and I, I don't even think it's beautiful, but the monoculture yards that are so common and have such high environmental cost and high cost to other life forms and high cost to water and to people who are doing all this effort and spending all this money, you know. Anyhow, but now I, tell us a little bit more about the details that are about the event going on um, later on on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's really going to be fun, I think, because two Actually, two events are coming together. There's a Stone Arch uh, Festival event and then – and, you know, everything – so the Stone Arch Bridge, you know, comes across and and in uh, the – in this the Mill City uh, Museum and the Mill City Farmer's Market is right near the Guthrie. So you're right mm-hmm. on the river. Um, but there's going to be – I know Beth Dooley, who is a very well-known sh- um, writer and chef, um, cookbook writer. Um, she is going to be 
at the festival. She's going to be doing some demonstrations with some perennial grains, and she will be signing her cookbooks. She really focuses on um, cookbooks that are around uh, sustainable using using sustainable foods and grains to um, and being healthy. Yeah, why we're healthy yeah, water and right. supporting that food system right. that rise that we all rise by. Right. Um, so uh, we're talking with Sustainable Farming Association, and we'll be right back after this break. Welcome back to Food, Food, and Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. In studio with me is the Executive Director of the Sustainable Farming Association, Lucinda Winters. And there's going to be an event on Saturday, today. It's at Mill City Market. Um, And tell us a little bit about the time. There's no reservations required. No. This is a free uh, event to attend. It starts at 8. It runs through 1 o'clock in the afternoon on Saturday the 17th. It's called Mississippi River Day. But it is part of a much larger effort this year um, that stretches all along the 10 states that um, that are bordered by the Mississippi River. And it's called Mississippi River Days of Action, which doesn't just roll off the tongue. But it's basically a really large awareness building event around how we all, all of our activities, all, you know, the importance of the river economically, recreationally, um, and, you know, and a lot of, obviously, a lot of states pull water from the Mississippi for, and they treat it for drinking water. But um, it's really a call to action um, for all of us to work together to improve the health of the Mississippi River because it has been um, it has been recognized. I mean, that as being unhealthy at this point, and um, we want to try to fix that. And if a lot of a lot of people with good intention and real, you know, make a real effort, we can we can improve the health of the Mississippi. And if we improve the health of the Mississippi and we improve the health of the egg system, we improve our individual health at the same time. So it's right. a big how do we cycle up. Right. And we'll be talking much more about this in the show. But uh, let's also, I mean, right now, let's talk about the drought. Um, you were showing me a chart earlier. But um, yeah. what, what's going on in Minnesota right now um, in terms of the drought? Um, one of the things we're worried about is we have about 1,300 members and about two-thirds of them are are making their living on the land as, far, as sustainable farmers. Um, and they and the people that support them, so there are educators and our agency folks, Extension, all the people at Department of Ag who, who um, work to improve um, our agricultural economy and, and the life of farmers, we are all pretty concerned that because we are already in a drought, uh, in drought conditions in Minnesota, um, and what's, con- what's of concern if you look at a drought map um, is – and there are drought monitors that um, that you can look at. Um, there's one drought monitor that we use, droughtmonitor.unl.edu. But it shows that um, a lot of the of the state of Minnesota, especially the the from the central Minnesota north to the border, is abnormally dry. And we do have patches of already in June. Okay, this is June 15. That's what's so concerning about this. This is happening so early. Um, is moderate. We're in moderate drought and severe drought in an area right just north of the Twin Cities. So um, this worries us because, um, you know, if this continues with the lack of rainfall, um, it's going to be it's going to be a really challenging year for especially live farmers who have livestock because. Um, they have to then buy hay. You know, they're going to have to feed them because the grasses that they may normally be pa- – they're on pasture. When it doesn't rain, pasture grass doesn't grow as fast. You know, it just does what it's got to do, which is it slows everything down, 
because of lack of resources. So no water, no grass, or much shorter grass and not as nutritionally you know, dense, et cetera. So people, this is a big concern because it's going to, and it's not just in Minnesota. Um, I know Iowa is expecting a, a, a severely contracted wheat crop this year. So um, yeah, we're we're concerned because when this happens, then our our members and other farmers have to make sometimes difficult decisions around how are they going to address the drought, how can they prepare for it, and what sorts of business decisions might they have to make about, for example, the size of a herd that they have, or you know what they sometimes have to make very hard decisions in order for their business to survive. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's you, you and I both heard a webinar before we taped the show called uh, Being There, Supporting Producers in Hard Times. And um, that it start, It said that the drought is hard. It's a hard time to be a livestock farmer right now. Some hog producers report they're losing more than 30 to $50 per pig. And milk prices have dropped uh, nearly 10 um, CWT. So, I mean, it's it's tough out there right now. It's tough because it's like a perfect storm, right? It's not only that we are going to have a drought, which we had a drought in twenty in twenty twenty one, a severe severe drought, um, and then twenty twenty two eased up. This year, we're looking at another drought, two droughts this close together. If this does indeed continue, um, I'm not trying to be doomsday person here. If this continues and we don't see rainfall in the coming weeks. Um, it's it's that it's input so the things that farmers need to buy for example for example feed for their animals or um, uh, anything they want they might want everything is all the costs are up the prices that they're getting are down and it's dry you know this is just like a perfect storm of um, of conditions that are just creating lots and lots of challenges for 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 our farmers and down the line for us you know because and, you know so for in the long term. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I'd love to have an anti-fragile food system because that just seems to make a lot of sense. How do we, you know, how do we support, you know, uh, this vitality and this abundance that I think is our birthright and how we create that? And I mean, I haven't figured it out yet, but it's, that's the vision. But, um, so, but you, but right now, a lot of farmers are dealing with serious, um, I mean, it's just so stress, so much stress. And, and so there's a lot of help out there that farmers may not be aware of. Right. Yeah. There is a lot of help. And I, 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 I understood some of it from, um, you know, talking with my friends at the Minnesota Department of Agriculture and kind of trying to get up to speed with um, with the, the counseling that's available, especially we are very blessed in Minnesota because for many years our legislature has recognized the special challenges that, that people who are growing our food um, may face. And it's in some ways it can be a very lonely, you know, you, you're it or you and your family are it. It's often a family farm. Um and we do have an amazing group of resources um, through the Minnesota Department of Agriculture, including, you know, even a mobile um, crisis counselors, twenty-four-seven text or call lines, all of that. Um, and we, you know, the other thing too is when you have organizations like ours, Sustainable Farming Association has ten chapters, and they are all over the all over the state. And our chapters. You know, the people who are in those chapters, they know each other very well, and they're there to support each other, not only in, in improving their farming techniques and how they're, how they're improving their soil health, but just being there to talk to, being there because you're, if you are in an area of Minnesota that's already 
experiencing, you know, I think it's like D2 is where things start. D2 is severe drought. Um, You can talk to other people who are in your same boat. They know what you're going through. um, And that's really a large part of what makes Sustainable Farming Association, I think, so valuable to farmers. It's the network of support that you create with people who are doing what you do, um, just like you, trying to make a living from their land, trying to um, improve the ecology of their land, um, and trying to be around for the next generation. They farm because they want to, um, and it is very challenging right now. But there are a lot of resources. There really are. Yeah, so it's um, the, the website is uh, mda.state.mn.us and then Minnesota Farmer Stress. Um, and so they have uh, Minnesota farm advocates that will help with farmer lender me- mediation. They are free, no insurance required, no paperwork required, counseling available, and a, a network of people that will help farmers that are facing this, because we are all in this together. Right, exactly. Um, I know I've really, you know, in my previous life, I really worked with a lot of people who are in technology and media, and they were are, are always considered to be, ent- oh, they're entrepreneurs, or you know, next gen, doing the next, and I have to say that having spent almost two years now getting to know um, regenerative farmers, and I... I, hands down, the most entrepreneurial people I know are people who are making a living and farming in, in, in Minnesota today. It's hands down. Amazing. So we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund. In studio with me is the Executive Director of the Sustainable Farming Association, Lucinda Winter. And joining us by phone right now is Marjorie Hegstrom with Blue Land, uh, Green Lands and Blue Waters. Uh, welcome to Food Freedom Radio, Marjorie. Yes, thank you for having me on, Laura. Okay. So tell us about this event going on, on uh, today, Saturday. Yes, well, we are really excited to be part of River Days of Action, and this is actually a series of events that have been going on between June 8th and June 18th, um, all up and down the Mississippi River. So it's uh, put on by an organization called the Mississippi River Network, which is actually a collaboration of over 50 organizations, all of whom support the Mississippi River health, um, and that includes the health of the people, the land, the environment, um, all up and down the river. So we are excited to host our event actually right on the Mississippi River. So our event will be held at Mill City Farmers Market, which is right downtown Minneapolis by the Stone Arch Bridge, and it is uh, today from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m., and it takes place during the farmer's market. So there will be over 50 farmer's market vendors there selling their goods, um, all locally and regionally produced. Um, and then we will also be there featuring Kernza, which is a perennial grain. And it's something we like to call a clean water crop. So it's a crop that when grown on our agriculture environment actually helps water quality and improves the health of our Mississippi River. I absolutely love um, Kernza and I, the clean water crop. So tell us, what is why is it a clean water crop? Yeah, th- that's a good question. Um, so most of our agricultural landscape, especially here in the upper Midwest, is grown in annual crops. And then when the fall season comes, all of the crops are taken out of the ground and the soil is left bare. Um, and this can lead to a lot of issues with uh, wind and rain erosion, water runoff, 
and in that water are many pollutants from the agricultural system. So fertilizers and um, pesticide runoff is a major problem for lots of our streams and waterways and for the Mississippi River. So crops like Kernza are, again, it's considered a perennial grain, which means it can stay in the soil year-round, and it therefore develops this really robust, deep root system that helps hold that soil in place. It absorbs all of those nutrients, uh, specifically the fertilizers, before they leach into groundwater and cause things like well water pollution and contamination of our streams and waterways. Do you know if the perennial grains are more resilient to drought? Um, That's a good question. Um, I am... I, I don't have data at my fingertips, but yes, um, theoretically they should be more resistant to drought and other extreme weather events because of that robust root system that allows them to tap into deeper water reserves when surface water is more limited. Now, Lucinda, you were saying during break about how um, endangered the Mississippi River is, and right. I guess I, I guess I, did, I wasn't aware of this. Yeah, I just um, you know consulted my cheat sheet again, and um, it is has been recognized um, by uh, let's see where is it the American uh, Rivers has in 2022 listed it as one of America's most endangered rivers. Um, and that's, you know, I mean, it's it's disturbing on a lot of levels, one of which is that uh, it the Mississippi provides drinking water for 20 million Americans, which is kind of a hard to wrap your head around that so many, and it provides habitat for about 800 species of fish and wildlife. And it also, you know, we recreate, we boat on, on the river, right? There's barges on the river, so it's a major means of moving moving. Uh, things around. And um, yeah, it generates about $400 million a year in economic activity. So we, it will, so many levels of why it will, it pays for us to care about the health of the Mississippi River and really try to work together to improve it. So Marjorie, what's, what's going on with the river? Why is it endangered? Well, again, um, the river is such an interesting analogy for how we are all connected, and so much of our food is produced here in the upper Midwest, um, and so much of it along that Mississippi River corridor, but then all of those um, pollutants that we discussed, and again, it's primarily fertilizer and herbicide runoff, um, does make its way into the groundwater into the streams and ultimately to the Mississippi. Um, So one of the main issues with the fertilizer runoff is nitrate, and nitrate is very bad for human health. Um, and I do have a statistic here from the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency, which is that 49% of wells in our state agricultural areas have nitrate concentrations higher than EPA standards um, permit. So this is this is a very significant issue in our drinking water. And then a major issue that's much more um, nationally felt is as all that runoff flows down the Mississippi River, it ultimately reaches the Gulf of Mexico, and there's actually a large and continually growing um, dead zone. And the dead zone is an area where basically no fish can survive in the Gulf of Mexico because of the way the fertilizer runoff impacts the local plant species there. 
And so, one of the so if farmers okay. So, and one I think my sigh is that we've known this for a long time, for decades. We've known this information, um, and one of the big solutions is to do cover cropping. But you know, less than seven percent of farmers in Minnesota does cover cro- cropping. So, um, and that's the purpose of your organization, um, Marjorie, is to um, encourage um, a continuous cover, continuous living yes, cover. Yes. So um, our our primary mission is to encourage, support, and grow continuous living cover on the agricultural landscape. And when we say continuous living cover, we mean living roots in the soil year-round. Um, this can take many different forms, but cover crops is probably the most well-known and sort of that entry-level point. Um, it's, it's a lot more familiar in the mainstream, both in the farming community and in the community of consumers and people who pay attention and care about um, what's going on in agriculture. But, um, Lucinda, talk about some of the other ones because they're also uh, silver pasture or agroforestry. You want to talk about some of the other ways of um, soil-healthy, water-honoring farming? Yeah, I mean there's – well, certainly living roots can include things like trees. So in Minnesota we have – Hazelnut, we are, I have a growing hazelnut uh, industry. Um, Minnesota hazelnuts are a little bit smaller and sweeter than the variety most of us are used to, and they're fantastic. They used to be, hazelnut trees used to be all over the landscape in Minnesota, and then they went away because everybody chopped everything down, um, and then they're coming back. We're excited. Elderberry. So they're living. I'm going to just stop you on hazelnuts because the other thing as far as yards, hazelnuts are like what I'm calling my retirement yard. I mean, you don't have to mow. You don't have to rake. You let the little hazelnut patch grow. You don't have to protect them from the deer. But right. Yeah, they're kind of a short tree. They're not a tall tree. They're a shorter tree. Um, and they're, you know, I mean, I'm I now that I've had those hazelnuts, um, I'm a little bit I'm a little bit hooked on them, um, and I found a lot of ways to use them. But there are a lot of ways that we can um, can living roots can mean a lot of different things. But yes, silvopasture, agroforestry, which is again um, bringing bringing trees and different more deep rooted um, vegetation back, bushes. What Marjorie, help me out here. Is is elderberry also a way that we're trying to do that? What are some of the other um, living roots we could we could name for these folks? Right, yeah. So agroforestry is really any combination of trees and shrubs with then a more traditional plant and animal farm operation. Um, So there's a really interesting practice called alley cropping where um, instead of tilling up, let's say, an entire 300 acres and putting it into corn, and that's probably a drastic understatement of what some of our corn acreage is, um, but we would have a farmer put in, let's say, a a row crop of something like um, the hazelnut trees or fruit trees and then spread those rows very far apart and in between those rows plant that traditional corn crop. And that, again, is going to get turned over at the end of that season, but the rest of the field has those permanent living roots from the tree crop. But both the corn and the tree crop are an income source for the farmer. So we always like to, you know, this has these huge um, environmental impacts that we've talked about and impacts for our river health, but we never want it to be at the expense of, of course, the farmers being able to make a livelihood, but that's why we see this as such a great solution that can have those economic impacts for the farmers at the same time. And it can also really, going back to drought, because we have talked about drought, the continuous living cover really can also help 
mitigate some of the effects of drought because once when you've got you know green on the landscape and it's got roots um you're going to be a little bit more risk tolerant or drought tolerant because you're keeping more water in the soil it's not you know it's it obviously there's evaporation but but it really helps just like mulch if you put mulch down on you know you'll see um, oh, my, my trees, you know, my plants aren't drying out as fast if they're mulch. Well, that's because it's holding the moisture and the water in. And I think that's the value and the of um, continuous living cover. And I think more farmers are going to be considering it if we are going to be dealing with – it's a motivation um, for even some farmers yeah. who may not have considered it to start looking at it now because drought may be coming – you know, we may be experiencing more and more frequent droughts. Yeah, and um, I, I know, uh, and yet uh, a lot of the burden is on the farmer too, because doing cover crops can cost extra money, and you know it's hard to. And sometimes the only market you have is the conventional market, so it's up to all of us to create a system that works for every all of us, including the water and exactly. the bees. Yeah, we're always looking at all of the people who are players in this area are always looking at new ways to um, new markets for what we're producing. Um, in, because that's what farmers need. They 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 want to be doing this work. But example, for if you're going to grow more trees, what could what would I do with that wood crop? And there are new markets for um, that we're looking at, it, trying to help farmers find markets for those products so that they um, they can not only um, be good stewards and be helping solve the problem, but they're also profitable and can can remain on the land. Right. And then, um, so talk again about these river days of action and how is part of that, um, purpose around that to also move some of the policy discussions so that agriculture, um, needs to be water friendly? You want to take that right. One? So, yeah, yeah. Thank you for asking that. So every, uh, river days of action event has the universal action that we all are excited about and promote. Um, and this was, this is developed each year by Mississippi River Network and, um, focused on sort of a press view in the world of river health. And this year, um, happens to be a farm bill year. So the farm bill is an extremely large and complicated, um, set of legislation that is renewed about every five years. And so we're up for a new one this year and, um, discussions are underway. So the universal action this year is that people can write to their legislators and request and encourage that we dedicate farm bill funding to increased conservation programs for agriculture. So the main agency that oversees this is called the Natural Resources Conservation Service, and this agency provides cost share and technical assistance for farmers to implement some of these practices that we've been talking about today. So, so it's um, a really great way. Yeah, Marjorie Hegstrom. No, Marjorie, uh, Marjorie Hegstrom uh, with Green Lands and Blue Waters. Uh, we're going to take a break. Um, also in studio with us is Lucinda William Winters, um, the executive director of the Sustainable Farming Association. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headline. In studio with me is the Executive Director of the Sustainable Farming Association, Lucinda Winter. And also joining us by phone is Marjorie Hegstrom, and she's with Green Lands and Blue Waters. And there's an event going on on Saturday. So, um, Marjorie, you want to tell us more about the details? 
Yes, so again, we'll be at the Mill City Farmers Market. It's right along the Mississippi River in downtown Minneapolis. Um, It's from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. We'll be there with over 50 farmers market vendors. Um, But at our booth, you'll be able to stop by and learn about clean water crops. And specifically, we'll be featuring Kernza. Uh, We have a great local company joining us, Perennial Pantry, and they will be sampling their uh, Kernza crackers, which are absolutely delicious. The farmer's market uh, chef, Nettie Cologne, is going to be featuring some of those clean water crops in her cooking demo. Um, I believe she might pull in some of those hazelnuts and maybe some elderberries. Uh, That demo is around 10 a.m. And then local cook book author Beth Dooley will join us at 1030, and she has two cookbooks, um, and both of them include these great perennial uh, Midwest-grown crops and can help inspire you to use them at home. Right. Yeah. It's going to be really fun. It's really going to be. And I'm, I'm, I, from what I understand, the weather's going to be awesome. The air is going to be clear. Oof. And it's a it's an absolutely beautiful venue for um, anybody who's a foodie, um, you know, and wants to try some try try kerns of crackers again. You'll be hooked. Um, and we are really pleased to have a perennial pantry in in our state, trying to really you know turn the dial on getting people more familiar with what you can do and what the the taste of kerns and how to add it into your pantry. Yeah, because our listeners are passionate about um, water is life and and honoring and and leaving the world a better place for the next generation and that healthy, vital soil and a livable planet. And we can we can do this. There's a lot of hopeful. There's a lot of people working on things that are um, hopeful, but maybe the word is actionable. That they're doing real actions that make a, a tangible difference. Right. Absolutely. It takes all of us, but we we can do this. Do you want to mention some specifics of, of, of hope? And we've talked about Kernza. Um, other things that you think that might uh, be um, great? Um, there are a lot of interesting things. I mean, egg is like every other industry, you know, really um, working with being improved by, in some ways, by technology. Um, and we're doing some really interesting work right now, encouraging more uh, farmers who are interested in grazing their uh, their cattle to be able to do so without putting in fencing, um, polyfencing, with the use of a virtual collar, very similar to what most of us think of what about uh, collars on dogs to keep them in the yard. These are larger, you know, it's a larger unit, um, but it goes on cattle and uh, it's being used on bison. It's being piloted on bison wow. um, so that you can move your cattle more frequently without with an electronic fence. Um, it's being used out west in larger, you know, tracts of land that are big and flat, but we're trying to see how well it will work in Minnesota with our different topography and our cold weather. Um, so we are, you know, there are lots of interesting ways that I think technology is, um, is going to be beneficial for uh, farmers to farm more sustainably. Um, and there are also a lot of people working on local food systems. There's really a lot of focus and a lot of money, uh, federal money, coming into how do we improve it? How do we make it more accessible to everyone um, so that no matter where you live or how much money you have to spend on food, you have the opportunity to access really good local foods. So that's really exciting. Yeah, it is. And Marjorie, Greenlands Blue Waters, tell us about the organization and the website and the type of information available there. 
Yes. Well, um, what people can find is a lot of information about continuous living cover generally, and we just barely scratched the surface today, so there's there's a lot of great detail um, just about what these practices are and what they can achieve um, in the environment. And then we have quite a bit of information about Kernza, um, and I would also refer people to the Friends of the Mississippi River website, which is fmr.org, um, and if you navigate through there, they actually have a great page on clean water crops and where to find them. Um, And the majority of the companies that they link there are Midwest or even Minnesota companies, and there's just some some amazing products. We have uh, Artisan Non-Bread, Baker's Field Bread Company uses Kernza flour. So there's just, uh, it's kind of a whole world that that a lot of people don't realize is out there in in the world of food. And just back to your question quickly about reasons for hope, Um, the Inflation Reduction Act includes a lot of funding and a lot of potential new avenues to support these kinds of practices and really, again, um, give the farmers that support and encouragement to take the risks and make these changes because this is, um, while this isn't necessarily complicated, it can, it's a major change from our uh, traditional approach at this stage. Yeah, Things that are holistic are naturally complicated. And that was a, um, I also want to give a yeah. shout out. Um, uh, 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 Jim Embry has got a, a lot of events coming on this weekend, and he recently um, earned a James Beard Leadership Award. So um, he's on a Joy and Justice with Ju- on, on Juneteenth. So um, also on Saturday uh, from 9 to 1.30, there's a seed symposium at Oak Park Community Center, and then two to four, there's Our Health Seeds Justice at Bridal Veil Gardens. Um, and then in the evening, uh, there's something at Frogtown Farm at two o'clock. Um, and uh, then being the change we want to see, um, the Juneteenth Youth Celebration is on uh, Monday from 10 o'clock at South High School in the Food Forest. So a lot of exciting yes. things going on. It, it sort of makes me think maybe the future will be okay if mm-hmm. we just, you know. And so many young people g- genuinely interested in growing food, uh, even on school grounds. We're seeing that now, um, and uh, the Future Farmers of America is alive and well and has some really, really, really smart um, young people who are going to be the future of agriculture, and that gives me a lot of hope. So what's your hope, Marjorie? Yeah, my hope is that more and more people um, recognize and celebrate the shared connection we have through food. I mean, it's of course, it's what nourishes us and sustains us, but it's so much more than that. It's our culture. It's our traditions. We have language built around it. Um, and I just think that the more we drive that connection to food and that connection that it brings us among our, among each other, um, the more people start to recognize and dig into how the food is produced and what are the stories there and what are the implications and consequences. Um, and I'm, so I'm just really inspired when I see how many people are more and more focused on where food comes from and how it's, how it's grown and making sure that they are making a difference by choosing foods that have the impacts they want to leave on the world. Right. And raising this deep awareness of water and agriculture and, uh, and, and the importance of, of uh, having water-friendly agriculture and moving for the system, the entire system, to be water-friendly right. agriculture. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's um it's been really an interesting couple years and one of the and one of the good things if we can say that that came out of COVID at least in my opinion was that more and more of us became comfortable with buying online and that allows us to connect with farmers who many many of our, our members are selling direct to consumer and that is one way you can really move the dial. Buy direct from your local farmer. Know the woman you are buying your food from or man. It's and it's so rewarding, both nutritionally and because you make you make new friends. Make new friends, yay! Uh, Lucinda Winter and Marjorie Hegstrom, thank you so much, Um, and thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio.